I mean, there are all these backroom deals that were happening under the umbrella of traditional because they felt there was a stigma. Well, at least hybrid publishers are being transparent about it. These are our costs. This is our process. This is the quality standard that we agree to. And, of course, any publisher, hybrid, traditional, whatever, needs to adhere to the industry standards for each book. That's Elizabeth Turnbull of Light Messages Publishing and a member of the IBPA Board and its Advocacy Committee. I spoke with Elizabeth at IBPA's Publishing University 2018 in Austin, Texas. We'll hear a lot more from Elizabeth on the subject of advocacy issues for independent publishing in just a moment. But first, let me again welcome you to Inside Independent Publishing. Thanks so much for streaming in. I'm an independent publisher, and I'm your host, Peter Goodman. Inside Independent Publishing comes to you from IBPA, the Independent Book Publishers Association. IBPA's mission is to lead and serve the independent publishing community through advocacy, education, and tools for success. For more about IBPA and how we can help you be a better publisher and sell more books, whatever kind of publisher you are, go to ibpa-online.org. And uh, I invite you to write in with any publishing questions you have. We'll try to answer them in a future podcast. To write to me or anyone at IBPA, just contact us on the IBPA site or message us on Twitter using the handle at IBPA. Be sure to put the word podcast in the message so your question gets to the right place. As I uh, just mentioned, in early April of 2018, I attended IBPA's annual publishing university, which this year was held in Austin, Texas. Uh, While there, I was able to speak to nearly a dozen experts, publishing industry leaders, and in this podcast, we're featuring my interview with Elizabeth Turnbull. Today, we have another segment from uh, Publishing University 2018, which is taking place right now in Austin, Texas. Uh, We've been interviewing a number of uh, speakers, presenters, vendors, et cetera, et cetera, trying to get their take on what's happening in the world of publishing in the United States today. And we are very uh, pleased now to have Elizabeth Turnbull with us. Elizabeth is on the IBPA board. Uh, She is also the senior editor and partner at Light Messages Publishing in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, Not too far from Texas, I suppose. So good to have you here. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you for having me. So, uh, Light Messages Publishing, uh, what is it and how did you get involved with it? We are a small family-run publisher in North Carolina. Um, We say that we are bringing to light meaningful books. We do about seven titles a year of um, both fiction and nonfiction books. Uh, They range from mysteries to inspirational romance to memoir. Uh, It was started by accident, like many publishing companies are. My father self-published a book on Haitian Creole, which is a really niche market. It did really well. He sold over 100,000 copies since the the first edition. And so people started... Is this a food book? No, it's about how to learn Haitian Creole. Oh, a language book? Yeah, it's a language book. 100,000 copies. I know. There are a lot of people who want to learn Haitian Creole. It's an easy language to learn. Um, and so friends of his said, how did you do this? What did you do? And he started to tell them and give them advice. And they were like, wow, that sounds hard. Could you help me? So he said, sure. And then suddenly he found himself to be an accidental publisher. And when they 
were looking to, to either grow it or scale down, um, they asked me if I knew an editor who might want to come work with them, and I was looking for a change and s- submitted my resume for consideration. It was a pretty easy interview. <laughs> <laughs> Did he ask you about where you were born? <laughs> right, no. <laughs> he, he said, I was really hoping you'd say that. Ah, so. Uh-huh. So when you say family run, literally, it's uh, your dad? My father, my mother, and I. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I wonder how many uh, publishing operations there are like that. I don't know. Um, people ask me if it's hard working with family, and it can have its challenges, but I had worked with my parents before, uh-huh. um, is sort of interning with them in the summers and doing other things throughout my childhood. So. We developed a good dynamic, and it works really well for us. That's great. I, I can say it would never have worked in my family, but I'm <laughs> glad you've been able to make it succeed. Um, but let's talk about uh, your tenure on the IBPA board. It's been how many years now? I think I'm in my third year now. Right. Okay. So that's great. Three years on the IBPA board, and you are especially involved in the advocacy committee. Right. So um, I'm one of the founding members of the advocacy committee along with uh, Brooke Warner and Carla Olson. What is the role of the advocacy committee? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So we it was founded really because we felt like we kept hearing from our members that they were struggling um, to find a level playing field in the publishing industry, that they felt there was a lot of stigma against them because they are indie or they are small or they are author publishers or they have only a few books. And uh, we felt this need as a board to help give voice to our our members and use some of our weight to, to help what we call level the reading field. And that was how it was born. Um we realized that one of the hard things was that uh, because the publishing industry is in flux and there are a lot of new people coming on to be um, publishers and there is a steep learning curve, there's also a wide variety in quality of books that are coming out. Well-intentioned new publishers are make, make a lot of mistakes, for example. Um, so it's too easy for the industry gatekeepers to just do a hard, fast line and say, we don't review the books of indie publishers or of author publishers, or um, we don't uh, consider authors um, from uh, small presses to be members of our associations, or we don't allow them to be eligible for awards. And really, it's because they're just overwhelmed by the sheer volume of books, so the easiest way they know how to cut that off is to just come up with you, a hard you have stop. a somewhat benign interpretation of, uh, <laughs> of their dismissal. Uh, you don't think it was uh, a matter of keeping control or being elitist? I or, think there's a lot of that, yeah. too. I think that um, there there is a little bit of snobbery and elitism that comes in that, but I think some of that's born out of, I just I don't know how to handle all this, so I'm just not going to handle it. Um, so our answer was, and of course nobody comes out and says, well, I th- really, I just think we're too good for you, mm-hmm. right? They don't come out and say that. They come out and say, well, the volume is too much, or well, the quality gap is is like too wide. Or So we said, well, we're going to take their excuses and we're going to resolve them. So one of the things, the first things we did was to create the IBPA um, standards for a professionally published book. So it's a checklist that goes through and it lists all of the 
universally agreed upon standards for what it means to have a professionally published book, and it's a checklist. And our first intent was to have it, well, it it's really has a dual intent. One is so that our members or any other publisher can take their book and vet it against this checklist. Do I meet every item on this checklist, yes or no? And if I do, then I'm I'm ready to present it. And if I don't, I have to pull back and fix it. But also so that the gatekeepers have a very quick 60-second book-in-hand checklist that they can do. So instead of just saying, oh, well, you've got to sort through this big pile of books, we say, well, here's a really fast, easy way to sort through this pile of books. And does the book meet these standards? If so, then it should be considered doesn't mean that it has to be accepted. It just means that it should be considered on an equal um, playing field with the books of any other, you know, mid to large size publisher. And it's very, um, what would you say, empirical. Yes. In the sense that it's not like casting any uh, opinions on content or whether it's a good book or whether right. it's a sellable book. It's simply saying, does it satisfy all the particulars that are right. required of a book? to stand up in the, in the marketplace. Right. And if it does, then it should be in the to-be-considered pile. And then when you get into it and flip through it and look, if you don't like the book, well, you're not obligated to like every book that's brought right. before you. Well, have you. Have you gotten any reaction to that from either booksellers or uh, review media? We have. So we've um, gotten several of the editors um, from some of the trade publications to say that they are that they like the idea of it and they will consider adopting it. Um, and we have gotten a lot of really good feedback from the members who are really grateful to have something empirical to um, evaluate their books against. And you know, quite a few people have. Um, there's a place on our on the website that talks about the standards checklist where they can also make a commitment to follow that checklist. And we've gotten. Dozens and dozens and dozens of you know um, people who say yes, I want to commit to this list, and so we know we're making an impact in the quality of books that are coming from independent publishers, and that keeps eroding away at the argument that we're right. not good enough to be considered. Right. I, I imagine it'll still take some time. Is there? There's not like a little seal or something that says this meets all the standards. No, it. Uh, we we used to have that discussion in the boardroom. I meant right. whether we should have a IBPA seal of approval or something right. like that, and we, we never never we, wanted to do that. We go back and forth, and I think one of the reasons against it is to say that that sort of speaks in into that into the prejudice, right? It sort of accepts the prejudice and says, I, being small and independent, need a seal. Whereas you, being large, do not. Right, right. And mm-hmm. so we are saying, judge a book by the book, and that is that's one of our consistent comments. Don't judge a book by the business model of the publisher. Don't judge a book by the, um, you know, by how many authors the the publisher has. Judge a book by the book. Is this book worthy? Does it stand up against? Other books in its genre from other publishers. Have there been any uh, uh, stores or media that have actually changed their policy as a result of the pressure from the IBPA? We've had a few, yeah, who have said, "Okay, we're going to start using this uh-huh. to evaluate it." We agree that that what we've been doing doing isn't isn't fair. Um, we need more. We need more people to do it, and that's one of our ongoing missions in the advocacy committee. The, and we are we are trying to build a, a name for ourselves as for for IBPA, IBPA also as the standards 
bearer for the mm-hmm. indus- publishing industry, right? And so the other list that we've done that we just came up with um, deals with hybrid publishing, which is a, you know, you have traditional publishing, which works with, uh, you know, royalty-based, sometimes in advance, sometimes in not. You have author services who charge um, for their services to help authors be published. And then in this, in between those two is a middle ground of hybrid publishers who hypothetically follow all of the same procedures of the traditional publisher, but they ask the authors to help invest in their own book. And that has been an area that shows a lot of promise from a business model perspective for small publishers to raise the capital they need to properly service a book. But it also has been a term that we noticed started to be co-opted by people who weren't really doing hybrid. So we didn't we didn't like that because then that's going to harm everybody. So, In what way was it being? Co- I, I'm familiar so, with the term vanity publisher. Right. So vanity from, publishers yeah. and author service companies were starting to say, "Well, we're hybrid," but they weren't really hybrid because they weren't meeting the standards. But then we realized, well, who, what are the standards? Nobody's laid them out in black and white form. So this, of course, this is going to be co-opted. So. We sat down and we used our experience from the first standards checklist to come up with a standards checklist of what it means to be a hybrid publisher. So now you have to meet these, you know, points of, and some of the main ones include you have to vet your manuscript submissions. You don't take everything that's been vetted, so it's not pay to play. Um, you are the publisher is responsible for the editing of the book whether or not they choose to say, okay, you, the author, are going to hire one of these approved editors and get it edited, and I will review and approve the edits, or whether they do the editing in-house, that's a private business arrangement for the publisher. But ultimately, the publisher has to be able to stand behind the quality of editing, for example. And the other thing is to make sure that they're not taking advantage of authors the amount of royalties that the author receives on the back end must be commensurate with the investment they make up front. So if the can, up you, can you explain that? Yeah. Is there a formula for determining what's commensurate? It's in that sense is a little bit subjective, but the idea is that it should be at least fifty percent, could be or and and in many cases more, depending on the amount that the author has to invest up front. So also depends on, therefore, on the returns that the publisher makes up front. If the publisher makes more money up front, they need to give more on the royalties on the back end. But it should always be, um, you know, the average that we that we state is, is about 50-50. And so we have this list, and, we, and that one have gotten some really exciting feedback mm-hmm. from industry leaders. We um, received coverage, you know, in, in PW about it, and... Also um, on, I think it's called the Hot Sheet, right, with Jane Friedman. And we've had different industry voices saying, yes, we need this to define what this means to be a hybrid publisher. I think we need to take it a step further and get people to, to help vet this, you know, vet people who call themselves hybrid publishers and have some sort of... Because it's basically self-policing at this point, right? It's self-policing, but also now um, the Authors Guild has endorsed it and they have it, so they're they're Uh, informing their authors, like, if somebody says they're hybrids, you need to run them against this list. So it's also being policed by the authors submitting the book. This, I mean, to my mind, this is a real sea change in the the, uh, publishing industry. Yes. Because everyone knew that there was this whole um, 
separate world out there, but there was so much trepidation regarding quality yes. and who's paying what and you know what's the what's the deal with a with a publishing right. business model that this is this is actually I guess like you say creating standards so that people can evaluate it or basically saying this is from the get go a stand up project and you don't have to think about all this other right. stuff as to whether it's legitimate or who's right. paying for it it's a book do you right. want to sell it or not you right. know, does it fit your audience or not all the rest of it you don't have to worry about anymore and that's that's a major major change that's what and that's really what we're trying to do you know we have a we have a hybrid arm too of our publishing company called Torchflame Books and so this was a project near and dear to my heart you know Brooke Warner she runs she writes press which is hybrid it's dear to her heart and i think it's really important because it's important to remove the stigma but it's also important to create equal access for publishers um for, for several reasons, one of which is that, first of all, the worst-kept secret in publishing is that even traditional authors, even you know branches of the big fives are doing sort of not exactly author, you know, they'll say, oh, no, the author's not compensating, they're not paying yeah, to publish their book. But they're buying 500 books or something. Right, right? or they have to buy yeah. 10,000 books. Yeah. Um, or they're giving up a large percentage of their world. I mean, there are all these backroom deals right. that were happening under the umbrella of traditional because they felt there was a stigma. Well, at least hybrid publishers are being transparent about it. These are our costs. This is our process. This is the quality standard that we agree to. And, of course, any publisher, hybrid, traditional, whatever, needs to adhere to the industry standards for each book. So I think it's really important, and I think it's also important because it is a way to help diversify the voices in publishing. So one of the conversations that that I just came from one of our sessions is about multiculturalism in publishing, right? And how we don't have enough books to reflect the demographics of our country. That children of color are the largest demographic of readers, but they have one of the smallest volume of books And for them. do you think that's because a lot of the established publishers are looking at it and they're saying... We don't know how to sell this. We we acknowledge right. there's probably a market here, but right. we do, our our salespeople don't know how to get there. Right, right, and that's because a lot of the decision makers look the same and come right. from similar backgrounds, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so, when I look at our membership base and the people who are here, I get really excited because we have a really diverse array of of voices and people and backgrounds and we have people who are multiracial and people who are black and people who are Asian and people who are Hispanic and they're running their own publishing companies because they couldn't get anybody to listen to them but now we're like not get, we're not giving them the same access that we're giving these other publishing companies. So they're boxed out of the big ones, and when they try to do it themselves, they're boxed out because there's prejudice against their business models. Right, right. And so to me, the social implications go far beyond just like publishing. Mm -hmm. We can actually change the types of books we publish. Well, that is a great thought to end on, I think. And uh, for all your work on the advocacy committee, uh, you are to be commended. Uh, but before I go, you know, actually, um, what are some of the other issues that uh, are coming up that you see as maybe things that IBPA should ta should take up that are still, as you call them, pain points for 
small presses and other publishers? So we are we have just finished the hybrid standards checklist, and I think everybody on the committee agrees that our first two these first two standards lists are really important, and our work with them isn't done. They haven't reached fully the audience that they need to reach. So we so want to continue that. Them, in yes. And then we've also are are considering. Uh, we're not committed, and I don't want to speak on behalf of the whole committee. But one of the ideas that's been presented is coming up with some sort of certification program to help certify, educate, and vet um, publishers. Not necessarily specific books, but publishers as a whole. Um, another, you know, other ideas that have been presented have to do with the idea of diversity in publishing or ways to. Um, just continue to make sure that independent publishers are being fairly represented. Um, another issue that's dear to the hearts of many of us is the fact that indie booksellers, um, and I know you have a lot of thoughts also about independent bookselling, Peter, but... Um, I will stifle myself. <laughs> but I, I think one of the ideas is that there is a conception, um, a misconception among the public that indie booksellers... Um, are huge advocates of indie publishers. And it is not always the case. There are a few who are really awesome at that, but but it's not always the case. So they are capitalizing often on indies supporting indies or you know, buy local, support your indies, but it's not always an equal two-way street. There are a lot of reasons for that, and I have a lot of sympathy for, for indie booksellers because it's a really tough market. But that's an area where I would love to see us do some more work in advocating and creating mutually beneficial relationships. My, my two cents to put in on that is that uh, I, I kind of agree. I don't think it's uh, necessarily a prejudice on the part of independent booksellers that they don't like independent publishers, but the way our industry is structured yes. in terms of returns and sales and the logistics and the, just the cost of doing business makes it really, really difficult for uh, Anyone to get into a into a, a book selling a retail book selling environment in anything less than a very uh, efficient way. Yes. So if you don't have a distributor, if you don't have all the other pieces in place, you just can't get your books ordered. Which is why all the indie publishers end up going to Amazon. Right. And they're going there because not because they love Amazon more than anyone else, it's because it's the only place that will take them. That's true. And I just kind of feel that indie booksellers and indie publishers should spend a lot more time talking together about what their mutual interests are and how they can fix this antiquated, inefficient system. I agree. And I think it's what will end up saving both sides of the coin, you know, both right. industries, because... Um, if I walk into an indie bookstore and all I see is the same thing on the landing page of Amazon, but I'm paying 20% more for it, that hurts that bookstore. Sure. But if I go in and I'm being presented to an author who I would have never met otherwise, um, who's an independently published author or published by a small press, that bookstore has huge value for me because Absolutely. they're introducing right. me to something new. It's like what the music store, record stores mm -hmm. who still survive have discovered. Yeah. They're not trying to sell the top 40. They're selling these niche records and, and, and albums that people wouldn't have access to otherwise. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of the independent booksellers have focused on their neighborhoods and their community, yes. and they realize that there's a particular demographic that they have to serve in different interest groups. It would be nice if uh, a lot of their selections included more yeah. of uh, you know the author publishers, independent booksellers, and 
perhaps it's a you know over a period of time that yeah. that will happen. I'm sure there's a lot more that could be I done. I certainly love to spend money at my local indie uh-huh. bookstore, and I get really excited when I see one of my books in their window. Yeah, I wish we could make it happen happen more. And so I think that's an area that we're anyway that we're considering also for advocacy. At what stage we tackle all of these, I think, is to right. be determined by the committee. Well, good. Well, we look forward to your uh, continued good work. Thanks a lot for coming by. This is Elizabeth Turnbull from Light Messages Publishing. And if you want to find out more about Light Messages Publishing, what is the uh, internet address? Lightmessages.com. Lightmessages.com. Thanks a lot for coming by, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate Elizabeth taking the time to talk about the importance of advocating for small presses. As I mentioned in the segment... I really do believe that getting hybrid publishers and authors in the door of retail booksellers as fully legitimate and on a par with so-called traditional publishers is hugely important. And the fact that it is maybe beginning to happen now is a major evolution in how books are published and what kinds of books are published. As Elizabeth said, it's not just about the business model, but it's about opening up publishing and readers to more diversity different points of view, and books that reflect non-mainstream values and belief systems. The minority view in a culture, if you want to call it that, is often the harbinger of big cultural changes to come. And books and content from diverse points of view are one of the ways that minority views become larger and larger. This represents a society and a culture in dynamic evolution, not trapped in its past. America needs to accommodate all its new voices, and to do so, it must understand what they are saying and what is important to new communities growing up all around us. Publishing is about a lot more than publishing, so the work of the IBPA Advocacy Committee seems, to me at least, to be way more important than just promoting issues. In a sense, it's really helping us create a better future. Now, if you agree or don't agree, let me know. Tweet to me at Peter Goodman or at IBPA. And just a reminder, if you're already a member of IBPA, we appreciate your support. Be sure and let us hear from you. If you'd like to learn more about IBPA or considering joining, check out the IBPA website at ibpa-online.org. Thanks again for listening to Inside Independent Publishing. Keep your nose in that book. And as my bosses in Japan used to say, let's have publishing fun.